Father, I pray that now that as we look at your word that you would bless us. I pray that you would um, take from what's really stood out to me um, this week. I I pray that you'd help me to communicate that. But I pray as well that your spirit would be at work um, doing things that, uh, that goes well beyond that. So help us to come to you now with open hearts, ready to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, can, I, can I start just sounding a little bit like a whingy old man? Um, okay, I worry that people don't chase after God like they used to. You know, you know what I mean? Anybody else kind of worry about that sometimes? Um, I, I blame TV. There's too much on Netflix. No, I, I, anyways. Um, but I, I, do, I do worry about that sometimes. That, and for some of us, perhaps, you can look at times in your life where you were where you longed for God more than you might do now. And if, if anything, what I'd really hope for you and pray for you is that actually what we're looking at today might kindle a bit of a flame, a desire for God. Let me start with a quote from A.W. Tozer. He said this, Come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him, they prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out, and when they found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. What I want you to see this morning is that Moses was someone who chased after God. And we see this again and again. He was just a great example of someone who chased after God. And there are several passages that we find where Moses meets with God. And, you know, bear in mind, some of the stuff that we're looking at here, some of the stuff, some of the experiences Moses had with God. If you came to me and said any of these sorts of things happened to you, I'd have trouble believing you. Okay, like this is some incredible stuff. So last week, we saw the example of where there was this burning bush that wasn't consumed, and God speaks from the bush, the place where you are standing is holy ground, right? Or check this out, in Exodus 19, Moses prepares the people to meet with God at Mount Sinai, and the presence of God comes down on the top of Mount Sinai, and the people are terrified, and so check this out in chapter 20, verse 18, it says this, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They were absolutely terrified. And I love in this moment when you've got all these people that are absolutely terrified and the presence of God is in such a dramatic way on the top of this mountain with thunder and lightning and everything. We find this in verse 21. It says of Moses, the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. I don't know what thick darkness is. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, lots of people have written about the thick darkness. I could take you into a whole thing on that, right? Um, And nobody really knows. Like But in the moment where everybody else is terrified, Moses presses in. In chapter 24, we find that Moses climbs a mountain to be with God for 40 days and 40 nights. Pretty cool. The glory of God descends on Mount Sinai at the time, and it looks like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. 
We're going to look at Exodus 33 in a second, but in Exodus 34, just after today's passage, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai again. He stays up there again for 40 days and 40 nights. This time, he comes back, and his face was physically glowing. And I mean, like, not just like he's happy, you know? Not when people say something like, oh, you're glowing, you know, like physically actually glowing so much so that he wore a veil because it was freaking people out right I love that Moses has these experiences with God and he just keeps pressing in again and again and again it raises my hope about what's possible it it just encourages me I want to have the heart that Moses had in his desire for God And so, coming to our passage today, what I hope is actually, I'm just going to focus on some of the prayers that Moses was praying in this passage, that that you can make them your own prayers, that your heart might become more like his heart, okay? But let me set this up. Um, You've got to get a little bit of background. You've got to get in Exodus 32, again, Moses goes up a mountain to meet with God. While he's away, the people are worried that he's been so long, been away so long. Okay, And so they decide to worship God. Now, Aaron is the number two guy, but he's not a good number two. Okay, Um, In that Aaron leads them in putting all of their gold into a fire and creating a calf to worship. Some of you will be aware of this story. And what's really gutting about this, I've talked about the name of Yahweh, that they were worshiping this golden calf as though it was Yahweh. If you go and look at chapter 32, you can see that. And there's this odd exchange that happens just after this, in which, and this is kind of sad, but interesting, um, like Moses comes down the mountain, and Aaron says, tries, he tries to explain what's going on, and he says, we threw in our gold and out popped this calf. Right? Which to me, to my ear, sounds like he's saying, Look, God did this. Isn't that sad? Moses is so angry at, what, at the, everything that's happening that he has the Ten Commandments on two tablets and he, and he destroys them. And God is incredibly, is so angry that in chapter 33, verse 3, this is important to the background of what we're looking at here, we find this in verse 3. This is God speaking to Moses. And it says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. That sounds good, promised land. But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Like, that's how angry God is. I will not go with you, because I might destroy you on the way. And so in our passage today, Moses is interceding on behalf of the Israelites in the aftermath of Exodus 32. And so here's what I want to do is just, again, in this dialogue between Moses and God, I want to focus on four prayers. I'd encourage you to be praying these yourself right now. They'll come up on the screen um, to be praying these and that your heart might become more like Moses' heart, okay? The first one I want you to catch here, and it's from verse 13. Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you and make you proud, not a bit of dynamic equivalence here. It's not word for word, but teach me your ways that I may know you and make you proud. The Israelites don't know how to live for God. 
they surely know how to make God angry, all right? Moses knows better, but he also has the task of leading the Israelites, which, you know, would be challenging. Aaron clearly thought he was doing the right thing, or at least to some degree he convinced himself he was doing the right thing. See, a key lesson in discipleship is that God knows better than you do, right? Like there will be things that you are certain of, but you've got to keep coming to God and going, God, what do you think? Because sometimes you might be certain of something and find that what God thinks is different. And, and there's something then challenging, important, scary in this. That's something we need to learn to do then is keep going to God in prayer, in studying scripture, and saying, God, what do you think? Lord, teach me your ways. Um, I don't often moan about different parts of the church, but will you per permit me a little moan for a moment here? Okay. I, I'm concerned about what's kind of known as the liberal end of the church. Because with the liberal end of the church, what you find is the way that they approach theology or any issue is they approach it with saying, what do I think about this? Okay? And the problem in that is that our reasoning is often wrong. So the question instead should be, Lord, teach me your ways. When I was, um, when I was training for ordination, I was at Ripping College, Cuddiston. And it was because the bishop wanted to broaden my experience of the Church of England. So he sent me to the, a very Anglo-Catholic training place, okay? And I was part of what they were trialing at the time, a, a group of mixed mode. So I was part of a small group where they're kind of testing some stuff on us. Not really, but like a different way of training. And so I was part of these five guys. And so we often had classes where it was just the five of us. And something that I've found is that, you know, they, it would be all sorts of things that we were talking about. Should a person pray to Mary, right? Or all sorts of things, okay? And my response, again and again, was to go, what does the Bible say about this? When I would say something like, well, in Colossians 2, it says, there would be an audible gasp. Because that wasn't their way of doing theology, their way of doing theology was, what does church history say about this? What does reason say about this? Like literally, they would, they would jump on me if I referred to the Bible. That to me is incredibly concerning. And the thing is, there's a temptation there that is actually a temptation for all of us. Because the temptation for us can be that we want to say, what do I think about this? Instead, what we need to do is come to God and say, Lord, teach me your ways. God, what do you think about this? Teach me your ways that I may know you and make you proud. Okay, so that's the first prayer I want to bring to you here. The second one comes just a little further in here. Lord, where you are is where I want to be. Lord, where you are is where I want to be. Um, remember in verse 3, God said, I'm not going to go with you. You're a stiff-necked people. I might destroy you on the way. And then Moses is praying, and, and then it, things change in verse 14. And God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. To which then Moses says, verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. 
I love this. That's where this prayer comes from. Lord, where you are is where I want to be. I love how respectful Moses is here. Like, basically saying that he'll go where God wants, he'll do what God wants him to do, but that he doesn't want to go anywhere unless God goes with him and with them. Um, the, The most kind of encouraging example I've seen of this once was, and if I've referred to it before, I'm sorry, um, but was when I was in Chicago once and I met this girl and she had this, a little bit of her story I'll share with you. And it's basically this. She was living in California. She looked around at all the friends and people that she knew and she realized that her faith would suffer where she was living in California. But she had some friends in Chicago. That's a 30-hour drive away, okay? Like this is a big deal, all right? She had some friends in Chicago that loved Jesus And she knew for her faith that she was with them, it would be a good thing. So she moved to Chicago. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, like I love when I come across people who pick where they're going to live based on the church they want to attend or based on the mission God has put on their hearts as opposed to just because it's connected to a a job or because it's got good whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? right? Like, Lord, where you are is where I want to be. And if you've ever had an experience of God, and for some of you, maybe you can remember a time where you felt close to God, in those moments, it's natural that you go, like in those moments, you go, there's no other place I'd want to be. Like, this is the best. But over time, it fades. And we need to kindle this prayer in ourselves. Lord, where you are is where I want to be. Third prayer I want you to see here. Lord, you are what makes me special. This comes from verse 16, um, where it says this, How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Right here. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the earth? Now, I realize that this was written for the nation of Israel and that they were God's people, but it's, I would say it's even more true for Christians today. We are the people of God. We're meant to, like it says in one verse, we're meant to shine like stars. We are being, another verse, we're being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory into his image. Like what distinguishes you from the world around you? What's special about you? You see, we live in a culture that's obsessed with self-image. And for many of us, we could say things that are special about ourselves. Can I get you to put God at the top of that list? Right? Lord, you are what makes me special. Your work in my life, your calling on my life, you are what makes me special ahead of anything else. Lord, you are what makes me special. And then the final prayer I want you to catch from this is, Lord, show me your glory. Moses asks this, and it honors God. Now, I want you to be careful here. See, if your heart's not right, this is a bad prayer. Okay? If your heart's right, this is a good prayer. Often when people have an experience of God, they fall into a trap of wanting to have the experience again instead of drawing near to God. Experience isn't our goal. Knowing and honoring God is our goal. And I even think that, now this is my thoughts, okay? Um, 
I think that sometimes even God will withhold experience from a person just to help them put their, make their foundation in such a way that it isn't swayed by emotion. Right? Okay? I do think that God does that sometimes. And there, there will be times where you go, why don't I feel God near me? And actually, it might be developing faith and trust in, in deep ways that are really important for you. Okay? But at the same time, there are other times where it's right and good to say, Lord, show me your glory. And so Moses prays this, and his heart is right, and he prays this, and God's honored by it, and God honors this request. And what we find here is a passage, and I've, I've said how some passages I, I think are intended to mystify. Moses stands in this cleft of a rock, likely a cave on Mount Sinai. God covers him with, the, with his hand as he passes by. This is weird. Does God have a body? In scripture, right? Does God have a body? No. But here we have like God walking by, okay? Like, this is weird. Um, the, the writer has clearly given us a contradiction. Check this out. No one can see God. Moses saw the back of God, right? Like, the writer knows what they're doing. What the writer's trying to make clear to us here is that Moses comes as close to God as he can without dying. And yet, I want you to notice that in chapter 34, his pursuit of God is not over, right? Moses doesn't go, well, I saw God's back. I'm sorted, <laughs> you know? Like, instead, again and again, with every experience, with every time with God, he continues to pursue God. So, Lord, show me your glory. Now, I want to I close by sharing with you a few quotes. Now, this isn't good. Like, like if I was giving like, really good sermon practice, I'd have a really nice story for you right now, okay? Um, but this, these quotes to me are really significant from a book by Gregory of Nyssa, and he wrote a book called The Life of Moses, okay? This is from the 4th century. And... In the book, he, he shows how Moses was so keen on pursuing God, and he explores what it means to live a perfect human life, like the best human life that you can live. And he finishes his book saying this. Let me give you a quote. Check this out. We regard falling from God's friendship as the only thing dreadful, and we consider becoming God's friend the only thing worthy of honor and desire. This, as I have said, is the perfection of life. And earlier in the book, he says this about Moses. He says, although lifted up for, through such lofty experiences, he is still unsatisfied in his desire for, for more. He still thirsts for that which he has constantly filled himself to capacity. And he asks to attain as if he has never partaken beseeching God to appear to him, not according to his capacity to partake, but according to God's true being. And he says this, the one who looks up to God never ceases in that desire. May you be a person that chases after God. May you be the sort of person who is who is able to find God in such a way that you are full but never satisfied.
Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you and make you proud. Lord, where you are is where I want to be. Lord, you are what makes me special. Lord, show me your glory. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us with this. I pray that you would stir in each of us a desire for you. I pray that you would kindle that desire, kindle that spark into a flame. Pray that that Moses' heart might become, that our hearts might become more like Moses' heart. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.